All right. How's it going, everybody? Good. It's good to see you. Um, this is like the beginning of the summer for H2, which is always a lot of fun. Uh, if you've been around here before, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot smaller, so you get a lot of opportunities, I think, to just meet and connect with maybe some people in our church that um, you haven't before, which is, I think, I don't know, it's just, I don't know, it's just a lot of fun. So, uh, but another way that it's different is that over the summer, throughout the summer, we give opportunities to people in our church um, who have been leaders for a while, usually staff, uh, really to preach, uh, especially people that have an interest in growing in that gifting. And so um, what you're going to notice throughout the summer is that because we kind of believe in multiplying uh, our leadership and multiplying our churches, ultimately, that we will uh, be having a lot of other people preach this summer, um, not just, you know, Grant or myself or Rob or uh, whomever else. And so um, that'll be fun and a little bit different. But so throughout the summer, you'll see, you know, uh, some of our elders preaching, but then most of the time, actually, you're going to get somebody else, and so, uh, which is really cool. Uh, we get to hear from some different people, let them kind of preach from the Word and, and just grow in that. So, um, for this Sunday, we're actually going to be kicking off the series that we're going to be in all summer long, and we're going to be in Mark, and so uh, the Gospel of Mark, um, and uh, yeah, so we're going to start in Mark 1, so let's pray, and then we'll dig right in. God, um, you're good to us. Uh, Lord, we love you, and we thank you that we get to uh, just gather together and um, you know, read your word and, and learn and, and grow together, Lord. God, thank you that we get to worship you together uh, all summer long, Lord, not just here on Sundays or not just at Life Group, Lord, but with our lives and with our community, Lord. And so, um, God, we just ask that you'd be here and that you'd speak, God. Um, that you'd speak in a way that I can't, God, and that you'd just use me in whatever way you see fit. And um, yeah, God, we love you. You're so good to us. And we pray all this in your name. Amen. So we're going to be in Mark 1, and we'll go through verses 1 through 15. So um, that's what we're going to pick up for today. It says this, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were flocking to him, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. John wore a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. He was preaching, someone more powerful than I will come after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I've baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending to him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. I take delight in you. Immediately, the spirit drove him into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels began to serve him. After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee, preaching the good news of God. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Okay, 
So this is the beginning of Mark's gospel. And uh, now Mark was a follower of Jesus in the early church. Uh, he was a cousin of Barnabas, if you're familiar with that character in Acts. Um, he's also a close companion of Peter. And while the gospels don't name their authors, like many of the letters in the New Testament, at the beginning of a lot of the letters in the New Testament, someone whoever wrote it will usually say, I am writing the, you know, this letter to so-and-so. Um, in the Gospels, they don't do that. Uh, and, and while that's true, early church fathers unanimously affirmed that Mark wrote this Gospel, and specifically that he became a kind of interpreter for Peter in writing this Gospel. So much so that some people even refer to Mark's Gospel as uh, the memoirs of Peter. So uh, that's kind of where we're getting all of our information from here. And so Mark starts his gospel with talking about John the Baptist. And really he specifically refers to a prophecy about John the Baptist and how, um, you know, he would precede uh, the coming of the Messiah. And so this messenger is going to come and prepare the way for the Lord. And Mark kind of implies that John the Baptist is that messenger. And then John is teaching about repentance and baptism a lot and ends up baptizing Jesus, marking the beginning of Christ's ministry here on earth. And so that's kind of where we pick up. Um, I found it really interesting uh, some, a long time ago when I first started to uh, dig into this stuff. Uh, I honestly, I just found it interesting that John was baptizing people at all. Um, because from what I understand about baptism now, right, it's this picture, uh, it's this symbolism of the death and resurrection of Jesus, which had not yet happened yet, right? So there's a little bit of confusion there to me, right? Like as we go down into the water, we're identifying with the death of Jesus uh, and, and just kind of uh, dying to ourselves and, and showing that we've died to ourselves and to our sin. And then as we come out of the water, it's a symbol of how we've been raised to new life just as Christ was raised from the dead. And that's what the scriptures teach us in the book of Romans. But the problem is that it doesn't explain what's going on here, right? Because Jesus not only hadn't yet died or resurrected, but John hadn't even like met him, right? Um, hadn't, he, he hadn't even begun his ministry. And so the question is like, why was John baptizing people? And why was this happening, you know, before he met Jesus? And uh, what's going on here, really? Um, so as it turns out, the practice of baptism was something that was kind of already being practiced in the Jewish community. Um, it was a kind of ceremonial immersion that typically was only found among Gentiles or non-Jews that wished to become Jews. And so in this process, they were not only becoming like ceremonially clean, but they were also affirming their new identity as Jews. And so in essence, as these Jews were coming to John to be baptized, uh, what they were doing is confessing that they're as far away from God as a Gentile, as somebody that wasn't a part of God's family. They're, they're kind of confessing like, I need to get right with God that I've not acted like I'm one of his children. I'm not, I've not acted like I'm a Jew or like I'm part of his family. I've not acted like one of God's people and I need to change. And this demonstrated repentance. And you've probably noticed that throughout the scripture that we went over. Um, you know, Mark tells us that this is what John was teaching and doing, that he was performing a baptism of repentance. Now, repentance is kind of a loaded term nowadays, I would say. Um, I don't know what comes to mind for you guys whenever you hear the word repentance, but I think it kind of depends on your background, I would say. Uh, I think especially unchurched people hear the word repentance or repent, and it kind of has this connotation of like a self-righteousness, right? That um, somebody, if they're telling you to repent, that they feel like they're better than you somehow, and, you know, they're kind of telling you that you need to turn from your sin because you're like a worse person than they are somehow. Um, but that's kind of not what we see here, and it's not really what we see throughout the scriptures, 
Repentance is actually this really key, uh, I would say, rhythm and idea in the Bible, and it's essential for salvation. Um, and so the, the word that's most commonly used uh, when we talk about repentance in the Greek is metanoia. And what this means is essentially to change your mind about something, to change your mind about something. And usually it's understood as a kind of transformative heart change. Okay. So that's kind of what we're talking about when we say repentance. And this is what John demonstrated and prepared Israel for. He was, uh, this is ultimately what Jesus commanded people to do. Um, The very first command that Jesus gives to people is right here in Mark 1. And it is not coincidentally the first thing that he says in this book. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. This is the first command that Jesus ever gave to anyone. And so when we see this term consistently used here, it's really, it's the first time that the gospel as we know it is preached. Like to repent for these people and for all of us because the kingdom of God has come near is to recognize that in order to be a part of God's kingdom, we cannot go the same way that we've been going, right? And, uh, and I think there's two sides to that. There's, you know, the reality of our sin where, where many of these Jews have probably been that they've just maybe allowed sin to remain in their life. They've not cared about that. Um, Just let it remain. Haven't even tried to clean it up. And because God is perfect and holy and just, he will not remain where sin is. So that's like the one side of things. And then there's the other side, which is sort of the self-righteousness that, you know, really we can never offer enough sacrifices to please God. Uh, We can never do enough good deeds. We can never, by our own effort, become holy enough for God to be a part of his kingdom. We're not strong enough. We're not perfect enough. Our hearts are dirty and proud. And so these are kind of the two sides of repentance. And in both of these cases, it's acknowledging that we're not enough, that we're not enough. And so John was trying to teach these people these rhythms as part of preparing the way for Jesus, right? Like John's baptism didn't save anybody. Uh, it was only a prelude to what was coming. And he said this himself in Mark 1.8, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So he's showing them the way, right? Like teaching them what will need to happen for them to be saved. Like they will need to repent and turn from their ways and believe in Jesus. Like John the Baptist can wash the outside, but only Jesus can wash the inside, right? John says, I can baptize you with water. But what you need is to be baptized with the Spirit. And when we repent and change our minds and our hearts about, you know, how we've been living so that we can instead trust in Jesus and place our faith in him uh, for the forgiveness of our sins, that's exactly what he does. He gives us the Spirit of God to live inside of us and it starts to cleanse us from the inside out. And uh, this is what happened to me. And I imagine what happened to so many of you, right? Like for me, I, I gave my life to Jesus. I re- repented. I turned away from my old ways. I, you know, I don't know how else to describe that, but I was like fed up with how I was living, right? And God had been pursuing my heart for a while and just convicting me about my sin that I was kind of like letting be there. And at one point after, I think just kind of trying to have one foot in the world and then uh, one foot kind of doing this Jesus thing, uh, I just gave up. I surrendered to him, right? I was like, man, forget it. 
Like this isn't working out and I'm just going to give my life over to Christ. I'm going to give it over to him. And when I did that, Jesus absolutely wrecked my life. (laughs) Just demolished it in the best possible way. Because I was, I was baptized by his spirit and, and, and he began to change me from the inside out. Began to just change all of the things that I cared about. Like where I wanted to spend my time, how I interacted with people. He, he melted my heart. He showed me how to love others, how to care for them. He showed me how to love him, how to pursue him. Everything in my life began to yield to him. And some of those things were quick, right? Like some of those things is like, I gave my life to Jesus. And then very shortly after, I was like, oh no, I'm not doing this thing anymore. I'm going to do this thing. And then other things took a little bit more time, right? Maybe I had, you know, kind of a hold on those things. I didn't want to give them up yet, but God just continually was working on me and my heart and, and began to change me uh, over and over. And about a year later, uh, I read this in Ezekiel and, and it felt like it explained my experience. It says this in Ezekiel 36. I will also sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. I repented and he cleaned me. He removed my heart of stone and he gave me a new one. He gave me his spirit so that I could follow him and love him. It's like I took one step forward by committing my life to Jesus and I felt like God just met me miles to meet there. Like he just stepped into my space, my life and said, all right, let's get to work. You know, like I I love you. I want to restore you. So good. And this is what John the Baptist was trying to teach through baptism, that for all who believe and repent of their old ways and turn to God because his way is better, we are given the spirit, the spirit that has raised Christ from the dead. And it will continually renew us and restore us until we are with God forever and eternity. We're made completely whole. It's this beautiful thing that he was kind of laying the groundwork for that Jesus would would go on to teach throughout the rest of his life. So that's just kind of talking about the baptism and and, uh, repentance side of things. Now I want to talk about some other things going on in this passage. And honestly, I wasn't super sure how to transition. So we're just going to go with it. Just going to dive right in. Um, The worthiness and humility of Christ. These are some other themes I see in this passage. The worthiness and humility of Christ. First, Christ's worthiness. Um, John clearly identified Jesus as being more worthy than we can ever imagine. Okay, and uh, he says this in, in Mark 1, 7 and 8. He was preaching, someone more powerful than I will come after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So, you know, John just says this thing. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. It's just like, I have just so loved that every time I read that. And, um, and I want us to see this isn't just kind of, some sort of spiritual exaggeration that that John is using here. Uh, During this time, rabbis taught that a teacher might require just about anything from their followers except to take off their sandals, right? That that only a slave, uh, like really not even a slave would do this. 
And so John was saying that he's not even worthy of doing that. He's like, Jesus is so holy. I would long to even untie his sandals, but I'm not worthy enough to do that. He's unlike any other. He's completely holy. And what's especially interesting is that later, John the Baptist baptizes Jesus, which I don't know about you, but seems quite a bit further than just untying their sandals, right? And John agreed that this was a little strange. He says this in Matthew 3. Um, then Jesus came to, from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And yet you come to me. Jesus answered him, allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him to be baptized. So, so John understood like he wasn't worthy of this. But Jesus told him what to do, and he obeyed. And now it's interesting, uh, and what we see when Jesus is baptized is this other aspect of his worthiness. As soon as he came up out of the water, this is in Mark 1, uh, 10 and 11, as soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending to him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, I take delight in you. And so I need you to see this. This is before Jesus has done anything on earth. He hasn't even started his ministry yet. And so before he's done anything, God the Father declares before all these people that are witnessing that Jesus is his beloved son and that the Father's delight is in him. Some translations say, with him I am well pleased. And this indicates that that who Jesus is is so perfect and holy and worthy that he doesn't need to do anything to be approved by God the Father. He is who he is. He's the savior of the world. He's completely worthy beyond all we can imagine. And John understood this. And so this leaves us with a question, I think. Why did Jesus get baptized? Why did Jesus get baptized? Because Jesus was perfect and holy and worthy, but but John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. So, Jesus did not need to repent. So why was he being baptized? And so I think, in short, I think this is because while Jesus is more worthy than we can imagine, he's also more humble than we can imagine. And there could be several reasons why Jesus was baptized. Um, Uh, But one of the most common ones is that it it was so that he could identify himself with sinners. He could identify himself with human beings. So while he was holy and perfect, he came to the earth as a human being to be with sinners and to be in some way like them. Not like them in character, but, but in living a human life. And we see an extension of this in the temptation he experiences in this chapter as well. He spends 40 days in the wilderness and he's tempted, kind of just walking the way that humans walked, living the way that humans lived. And so Jesus lives this human life. He's tempted with all the same things that we've been tempted with. He models how to live as a human being perfectly. And then he takes the punishment we deserve for our sins on the cross so that we might be saved. And so that as we repent, he might baptize us with his spirit and bring us into his kingdom. Jesus is immeasurably worthy and he's immeasurably humble. And the beauty of this, I think, is that when you combine those two aspects of who he is, I think it tells us something very important. 
the worthiness of Jesus and the humility of Jesus, I think, tell us that we are worth it to him. We're worth it to him. There's nothing that we have done to earn the kind of grace and humility that Jesus has shown us. He's perfect, and we're so far from that. But he decided to humble himself despite what he's worth, and he chooses to identify with us and take our punishment for us. And it is in this that that he communicates something so clearly to us. You are worth it to me. He doesn't owe us anything, and yet he humbled himself for us. And so um, an example of this, I think, that maybe um, in some small way helps frame this. Um, This week was my birthday. Um, I turned 31, uh, so no longer exciting when it's your birthday, right? You get to a certain age, and it's just like, okay, here it is. And uh, I actually don't much like birthdays. Okay, um, there's probably a lot of reasons for that. Uh, at least one of those reasons is probably just in general, I, say, I would say I have a pretty low like, self-esteem and self-worth. So like the last thing I want to do ever is celebrate me, right? So uh, that's not super fun to me, but it was a good day. Uh, and there were a lot of people that in one way or another showed love to me on that day. Um, and uh, it's hard for me to receive it, but you know, they did that anyway. Uh, but one thing in particular stuck out to me and, um, and uh, I think continues to stick out to me over and over as, as I'm married to Lindsay. Um, and uh, before I go on, I'm just going to say, I know where people are at sometimes and they hear like marriage stories, young people especially, and I, I just want you to understand that like this doesn't, this isn't even really about marriage, I think. This is just about being in community with other believers. So let me just say that. But... Um, Anyway, Lindsay, I think she's such an awesome person. She's super kind and generous and gracious with me. I would say I have a very, very high view of Lindsay, right? Like, um, I have a high view of her so high that, you know, sometimes, you know, I feel a little bad that she's stuck with me, right? Um, You know, that idea that, like, I feel like I'm married up when it comes to my marriage relationship. And so, um, you know, I was, I was talking a couple weeks ago about how important our relationships are with other believers and, and just how we learn so much about God through our relationships with other believers. And so this is kind of a one, another one of those instances. So I have this super high view of, of Lindsay. And, and honestly, every time that she shows me love or grace or kindness, uh, which I would say is very often, I feel really unworthy of that, right? Like in some small way, it's like, I don't deserve that. But she does this anyway. And so on my birthday, she came home after a long-ish day of work. Uh, There's like a bad accident on the highway. So she didn't get home till super late. Uh, She got home at like eight o'clock, which I would say is late for a work day, right? Um, And probably tired, but you know, she just wanted to spend some time with me. And so uh, to to make me feel loved and valued. And she made me a cheesecake uh, earlier that day. And so I got to eat some cheesecake. Um, She gave me a gift. And we just spent some time watching like a show together because my love language is quality times. Like I just like to be, you know, with people. And um, in all of this, because I have such a high view of Lindsay, um, I don't expect her to do anything for me. She'd come home and go to bed, right? And that, that would not bother me. And so anytime she goes out of her way to to do something for me, it makes me feel really loved and valued. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, 
someday she might actually convince me that I'm a valuable person. And that sounds really like depressing. But she's modeling something for me, whether she intends to or not. Because Christ is, is immeasurably more valuable than Lindsay or any other human. He's immeasurably more worthy. Like, he doesn't owe us anything. And he gave us everything. He's a measure, he gave us immeasurably more than we could ever deserve or ask for. And this truth, I just come back to it over and over again because it tells me something. It tells me that I may not have a high view of myself or think that I'm super valuable, but, but Jesus thinks that I'm worth it. And that's crazy. And he thinks that you are worth it. You're so worth it to him that, that he, despite his immense holiness, he came and he died so that you could be together with him. You didn't earn that. <laughs> you don't deserve that. You didn't do anything to earn that. And that is so compelling to me. That's so healing. We are designed to know God and to worship him and, and just walk with him and so my example with Lindsay is, is just a small sna- scale snapshot, I think, of, of uh, the kind of love that God has demonstrated for us in Jesus. I feel like I don't deserve Lindsay, but I definitely do not deserve Christ. And yet he meets us here in this place. Like he came in his humility and lived as a human being and was tempted and did this human thing perfectly so that he could be the perfect sacrifice so that you could be together with God again. His worthiness and his humility, it shows us that we are worth it to him. And so, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what else to say. Um, God deserves all the praise that that we can give him. And so uh, let's just worship him together. And uh, yeah, let's pray. God, um, you're so good to us, Lord. And uh, we don't deserve you. (laughs) God, we thank you that you are worthy beyond all measure and that you're also humble beyond all measure. God, that you lived this human life perfectly. You came down to earth to be a human being so that we could know you again, so that we could walk with you and be with you, Lord. God, help us to understand that in the depths of our soul. God, that we would know the, the length, width, height, and depth of your love for us, Lord. God, and that we'd live in that and walk in that. Lord, you're so good to us. God, we thank you for loving us way before uh, we ever loved you. And we pray this in your name. Amen.